Thank you, Sabina. If you haven't opened there yet, open your Bible up. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Before we begin, let's pray. We would trade everything for the cross, an instrument of torture and death. What strange words to sing. It's because at the cross is opened to us the door to God. And with him, all things. Jesus, we thank you. A million dollars, a billion dollars is as nothing compared to that. we would say it's all rubbish, trash, compared to knowing you. So help us now, not just to be able to say that, but to deep down in our souls to believe it. Would you help us this morning to see the greatness of your love, please? And show us the way to salvation. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, your name, we pray. Amen. So is there a more famous verse in the Bible than the ones that Sabina just read? John 3.16, probably not. Maybe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But there's probably not a more famous verse than John 3.16. And why is that? 24 words, you can tell someone how they can be saved forever. 24 words, you can show them what is at the heart of history. That's why this verse is so precious. These may be the most important words you've ever heard, not just the most famous words in the Bible. They may be the most important words you've ever heard. You can get on Google and you can look up most famous quotes ever spoken or most important quotes ever spoken. I did it this past week. There's some amazing stuff, really clever, really funny, really wise stuff. But none of it, I promise you, I guarantee you, none of it is more important than this. None of it. Because here we see what God is like and how we can be with Him forever. So the last two weeks... We've been working through John 3, and we've been in a conversation that Jesus is having with a man named Nicodemus. And what's amazing about this conversation is that Nicodemus is a leader of the Jewish people. He's a teacher of the Old Covenant law, and Jesus tells this man, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. That's amazing. He's telling him that you can't save yourself. Nicodemus, he's not just a Jew. Being a Jew doesn't save you. He's a super Jew. 
He's a teacher of the law, and he's saying, you can't save yourself. What you need, Nicodemus, is you need the Spirit of God to open your eyes to see the truth. You need to be made new. You need to be born again. You need the Spirit of God to do something to you, Nicodemus, and then you have to believe in something outside of yourself. You got to believe in me. Amazing. Jesus wants to help you believe. We're going to see that. He does. He wants to help you believe. We're going to see how he does this. Let's see what he has to say. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look first at two potential destinies for you. Two potential destinies for you. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And then we're going to look at how God has loved you according to this passage how God's loved you, and then third, we're going to talk about what it means for you, and we'll see in this passage what it means for you. So let's see, let's see what Jesus has to say about two potential destinies for your life. You, and when I say you, I'm not just talking about people out there. I mean you. You are either going to hell forever or you are going to live with God forever. You. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but instead have eternal life. Down to verse 18. Whoever believes in him, talking about himself, the son, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So you're condemned already if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. You may have to flip a page, but look to verse 36. It's outside of our passage. Chapter 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see that word remains? He's saying you are already under wrath. You're already sentenced to hell. You notice that? He's not saying you're going to be. He's saying you already have. The sentence has been delivered. You are going to hell. That's what this passage is telling us. It's your destiny, maybe. That's why God sent His Son. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So you see that? You need to be saved now. That's what you need. You don't just need to be saved someday in the future. You need it now. I really want you to get this. It's really important that you personally process this for yourself. You already have been sentenced to death, hell. Every person in this world has. Everybody. Doesn't matter who your parents are, doesn't matter what your skin color is, every person has already been sentenced to eternal damnation. It's because no one lives for the glory of God. No one. 
And the wages of that sin is what? Death. That's right. That's what verse 16 means when it says perish. Verse 17 and 18 use the word condemnation. It's death for our sin forever. So 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says it this way. You can turn there, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, or you can just listen carefully. Paul says this, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And Revelation 14.11 says this about those same people. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Notice a few things. In hell, you exist forever. Sometimes we think that heaven is existing forever. If you don't go to heaven, you stop existing. And that's not what this is saying. In hell, people will exist forever. Every person who's ever lived on this planet exists forever. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? Everybody's immortal. There are legends, you know, every culture has legends where they're looking for either the fountain of youth or the Holy Grail, or some river you can bathe in or drink from where you can just keep going. You don't get old and die. You exist forever. If, just ask you. I mean, someone came in with a cup, and they, and they said to you, if you drink from this, you will stay as you are right now forever. Would you drink it? I hope not. You don't want to exist as you are right now forever. You don't want that. You want to exist with God forever. That's what you want. Existing forever without Him under His wrath is a nightmare like none you've ever had before because you don't wake up. It's not just forever, it's torment. As we saw in those two passages, it's punishment. It doesn't stop. It's darkness, not just there's no lights there, but darkness in every way. But there's no light at the end of the tunnel. None. Every day is more hopeless than the one before. And every pain is just a preview of the agony that's coming. Many people think, well, hell's not fair then. Hell's not fair because why should I be punished forever when I've only sinned for a few years, a few decades maybe? It's not the time you've sinned that deserves unending punishment. You got that? This is really important. It's not the time that you've sinned 
that deserves unending punishment. It's the unending greatness of the God that you've sinned against that deserves unending punishment. That's really important. You got that? My wife pointed out a a, a quote to me last week. It's a man named Thomas Brooks. And he said, there is no little sin because there is no little God to sin against. That'll change your perspective, won't it? It's not about how long you sin. It's about the greatness of the one you're sinning against. And we could add to his quote, there's no little punishment for sin because there are no little sins. Only infinitely punishable ones because they're against an infinitely worthy God. The punishment matches the crime. And if you don't understand that, it's because you don't grasp first how infinitely glorious and good and beautiful and worthy God is. Hell is a reflection of his infinite greatness. You see that? And that's the flip side. Because if that's true, if he's infinitely good and worthy and beautiful, then being with him is life. Life. You see that in verse 16? Eternal life. Verse 17 says saved. Verse 18 says not condemned. You would blossom forever under the warmth of his smile if you could just be with him. No pain, no worry, no sickness, no sadness, no sin, no loss forever where every joy is just a preview of the flood of happiness that's coming. That's what it's like, eternal life. Those are the only two options for you. I just want you to get it out of your head right now. Those are the only two options. And the problem is... While there are two possibilities, you're already sentenced to one of them. Already. The verdict hanging over your life is hell. You got that? Presently, it's hell. So we need some help, don't we? Look at how God's loved you. Verse 16. For God so loved the world... What did he do? He gave his only son. Now you'll notice that verse starts with the word for, which means it's explaining the two verses that came before it, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read those. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So last week, Luke preached on this passage, and he told us, okay, Jesus is talking about something that happened in the Old Testament. The people of Israel, they were grumbling against God, so they were attacked by snakes. They were getting sick. They were dying, and God told Moses, I want you to make a snake out of metal. I want you to attach it to a pole, and I want you to lift it up high so that everybody who looks at it will be healed. And Jesus is saying, just like that snake was put on a pole and lifted up, 
I'm going to be put on a pole and lifted up so that those who look to me can have eternal life. What does he mean? What does he mean when he's saying, I'm going to be put on a pole? He's talking about being nailed to a Roman cross. That's what he's talking about. And lifted up on that cross to hang until he bleeds or suffocates to death. Now we need to ask, what does looking at a man suffocating to death or bleeding to death, hanging up on a cross, have to do with me getting eternal life? Why would I look to that? And the answer is because what he's doing hanging on that cross is he's being punished, not for sins he committed, but for sins we committed. 1 Peter 2.24 says it like this, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. He's not carrying his own sins. He never sinned. He's carrying ours. Or to use the language of our passage, he's being condemned for our condemnation. You've been sentenced to hell, and Jesus is taking up your sentence of death on himself. And consider just how worthy he is, because Jesus, in that moment, can swallow up an eternity of the punishment that you deserve. That's what he's doing. He's taking wrath onto himself. But notice, Jesus draws our attention here to God's love. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That word only, it means special, unique. God doesn't love us by giving us the Durham's he found between the car seats on the way to meet us. He doesn't love us by giving us a UAE t-shirt that he bought at the gift market. He gave his son. When we had our first child, Caroline and I, we would take turns holding the baby in the middle of the night. If you have children, you know what an emotional roller coaster the first baby days are. Because you can go within a matter of minutes, seconds, you can go from holding this little creature and thinking, I don't think there's any hope for my life. There is no future for me. And in the next moment, feeling like it would be impossible to be any happier. It's true. That's why new parents are all insane. <laughs> One of those nights, I was holding our firstborn. So he was our only son at that point. And I was having one of those moments just feeling overwhelmed with love for this child, holding him, probably three in the morning, feeling like I would do anything to keep this baby safe. I would do anything for this child's good. And it struck me in that moment that God was giving me a tiny window into his heart. 
Many of us think, well, I love my kids so much, but God's God, so he doesn't really get moved by things like that. Do you ever think that's why God made a world with parents and children? To give us the smallest picture of what his love is like. That almost unbearable ache of love for my child is just the tiniest fraction of the love that the father has for his son. His son is his treasure. Do you get that? His son is his most prized love. This is his only son that he has known and loved with an energy that would make all the suns and stars in the universe bundled up together look like nothing. This is his son. Now let's read the verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. To what? To die. You might think, God's sending his son. Oh no, the sentence of hell has already been placed on my life and now he's sending his son. I'm going to be punished. That's not why he sent the son. Verse 17 clarifies, doesn't it? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I'm pleading with you, don't think the love of God is small. It is not possible for any greater love to be demonstrated. He gave his son because the sentence of hell was over your life and he doesn't want you to die. So he sent his only son to die in your place so that, here's what this means for you, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know what word shows up most in this passage? This is just a good Bible study tool. You're studying the Bible and you see repeated words. It might give you a good idea of what the passage is about. So outside of he, his, him, the word that shows up most is belief. Belief. Do you see them? Verse 16. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. What does it mean to believe? The word belief, it can be translated as trust. It often is in the New Testament, trust. It's a little different than just simply believing that something is true. You trust it. 
You rely on it. You depend on it. You're not just thinking, yeah, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago in the place for sinners. You're relying on it. You're depending on it. That's what it means to trust. But John, the Gospel of John, this book, gives us another help for defining what belief means. It comes in chapter 1, verse 12. He gives us a synonym. You can just flip a page and turn there. Verse 12. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Did you catch that? But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus, I mean, John is telling us, the gospel writer, he's telling us that believing is a kind of receiving. So you're not simply saying, I think Jesus died on the cross to be punished in the place of sinners. You're receiving that for yourself. That's what it means to believe. That's important. That's really important. If I, if I brought a box here, a big box with me, and I held it out to you and I said, inside this box is the greatest gift you'll ever receive. You might think in your head that I'm telling you the truth. You might think, okay, yeah, he said that the greatest gift in the world is inside that box. He's probably telling the truth. If you walk away, it's not yours. You got that? The greatest gift was in the box, but it's not yours. You need to receive it for it to be yours, not just think that it's true. Many people act like they simply need to think that Jesus died on a cross for sinners, but they don't ever truly receive him for them. They just leave the gift sitting on the table. True belief is receiving it all as a gift. When you really believe in Jesus, get this, this this is what it means for you personally to believe in Jesus. You're saying, yes, God, you sent your son to die for my sins. He was punished for them, and I want it. I want it for me. I need it for me. And if that's you, do some great work to prove to him how worthy you are, you simply receive. And you have eternal life. Now, who is the gift of eternal life for? Look at your passage. Who can be saved? Who can believe and be saved? Jewish people only? Men only, people with a certain color skin only, a certain language only, strong people only, rich people only. What's it say? Whoever. Whoever believes. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's reflected in verse 18 as well. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That means anyone, anybody can receive this by believing. What if you've murdered somebody? 
whoever believes. What if you've done something so perverse, so twisted, you don't know of anyone who's done what you've done, as gross as you've done? Whoever believes. What if you've lived your whole life the way you dress, the way you carry yourself, as a way to poke God in the eye? Can you come to Him? Whoever believes. What if you're a hypocrite? There are lots of us around. We just do what we do so that people will look at us and praise us. Can you come to God? He might be disgusted at you. Whoever believes. What if your people follow a different religion? Can you come? I don't care if you killed someone on the way here this morning. I don't care if you came here to kill someone this morning. Whoever believes now has eternal life. Do you see the love of God? Do you see it? He wants you to live. He wants you to live. That's why he sent his only son so that you would live, receive him, receive him, and be saved. Now, how does our text close? Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But here's Jesus' warning to us. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus ends with a reminder that not deciding is a decision. Jesus is reminding you, listen, if you think, I'm just going to hold off right now and not make my decision, I'm going to remain neutral. Jesus is saying, there is no neutral. There isn't eternal life, eternal hell, and some third option, wait and see. You're already sentenced to hell. Not deciding is only confirming the sentence. This is the most urgent call on your life right now. So receive him and believe. And if you already have, share this. This is for whoever. He so loved the world. You could walk out of this building right now, just walk down the hall, and almost any person you see already has the sentence of hell. And this is how they can live. And God has loved them so that they would live. So let's give it to them. The stakes couldn't be higher. What a great God. What a loving God. So let's see it. And let's let the world see it. Let's pray.
Father. We will need all of eternity to begin to enjoy the greatness of your love. It's beyond our describing in a moment, in our best efforts to have the greatest words would not come close to reflecting the greatness of your love. The intensity of love we feel for anyone else in this world is just a drop in the ocean of love for your son, and you sent him. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Would you pour your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit? That's what we need. We need the Spirit or we can't taste just how precious it is. And thank you, Jesus, for coming. You did not come unwillingly, but you bled and you died for our sins. Lord, would we be burdened by the foreverness of human existence? Would we be burdened that the nations would hear and be glad? And oh God, every one of us in this room, Lord, would you make us grapple Wrestle until we know we have eternal life. Help us believe. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.